0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Oh, I'm so excited for this interview. Um, this is an interview I did with, with crime writer Karen Slaughter, and if you have listened to this podcast, you know that um, many of us here love, <laughs> love, um Karen and her books, and so we were super excited, I was super excited to be able to interview her about her new one, False Witness, which is a standalone, and we talk about, oh, you know, writing crime novels, and particularly writing crime novels um, from the lens of a woman, and looking at that through, you know, a woman's gaze versus a man's gaze. Um, We talk about writing during the pandemic, and her decision to make the pandemic Part of the um, storyline of the book. Um, she was delightful. I was so excited to talk to her, and I hope you will enjoy the interview. If you want to get a hold of us, you can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. Uh, we are on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at probooknerds, and you can email us at overdrive. No, I did it again. Wow, I just did that a couple weeks ago. You can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com that is the correct email address um yeah so that's it not much short and sweet today short and sweet today so I hope you all enjoyed this interview I did with Karen Slaughter on the professional book nerds podcast Everyone, this is Jill, and my guest today is Karen Slaughter, bestselling author of over twenty novels, including the Will Trent series, the Edgar-nominated Cop Town, and the instant New York Times bestselling Pretty Girls, The Good Daughter, and Pieces of Her. Karen's latest book, False Witness, is out now. Karen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So, can you start by giving our listeners a brief introduction to False Witness?
1: Well, you know, it's really hard for me to talk about the plots of my books because <laughs> normally I'm like, well, the important things are big spoilers. Mm-hmm. Um, I could tell you who did it if you want. <laughs> you um, know, that might ruin it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. You know, it's, it's, I love this book because I love the characters so much. And I guess at the core, it's about two sisters. One is named Lee, the other is Callie. And uh, one is a lawyer and one is living on the margins of society. And, of course, you know, they have the, the great uh, displeasure of being in the first chapter of a Karen Slaughter novel, which is the worst thing you can do. So, you know, something bad happens to them. Uh, and then we catch up with them a few years later and we see the fallout of this bad thing. Um, and one thing I'll, I'll say is uh, that it's written... During the pandemic, both literally and um, metaphorically, or no, it's not a metaphor. I mean, both literally and literally. Right. It is written during the pandemic. How's that? Uh, And uh, it, you know, I wanted to kind of capture how bizarre our lives turned so quickly with the pandemic. So, you know, people are wearing masks and social distancing and using hand sanitizer and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's not about the pandemic, you know, it's just, it's in the background. Uh, yeah. and that was kind of fun to do as horrific as the pandemic has been and the tragedy of so many lives lost. Um, but just the idea of being a fly on the wall and putting into words and into story, what it was like to be alive this time, if you were involved in a gruesome murder, uh, was a really good, uh, I think, way to tell this story.
0: Yeah, that was actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about is um, the fact that it was both written and then sort of like set during the pandemic. And, you know, I think that's a conversation that is happening in the book world among different writers is how much of the pandemic do you acknowledge in your books going forward? You know, do you sort of pretend it didn't happen? Does it sort of your book exist in this like alternate world where we didn't have the pandemic and you just went ahead and were like, we're going to set it here. This is the timeline. This is where we are.
1: Yeah. And it was really like that. I really had to say, am I going to do this or not? Because it had to be a part of the story. So it would be, it would be really hard to take it out and for the story to work in some ways. Um, so when I was talking to my editor, about incorporating it, I was like, you know, I got to be all in or not. You can't unfuck a goat. Um, so it, I, I really had to, to you know, not have God. it, not have it in bits and pieces that you could take out, and the book still uh, made complete and total sense. I mean, yeah. and you know, part of that is because I've always written about social issues, and if the pandemic was anything, it was a magnifier. It is a magnifier of a lot of of social inequalities that we're seeing. So it was a good avenue to explore those things and and the vast difference between those who are doing well and those who are not.
0: Yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Yeah, you do sort of your books, um, even with all the gruesome murders and unfortunately being in the first chapter of a Karen Slaughter novel, you do pick topics that are timely and important. And I'm wondering if there was anything outside the pandemic that inspired this particular story.
1: Absolutely. Because, you know, for me, I, I think about books quite a lot before I write them. So the idea for the character of Lee Collier, who's the lawyer in the the novel came about three years ago. And so I've been thinking about her and thinking about her and looking for the right story for her for a while. Um, and her sister, Callie, came very organically into the story because it was a great opportunity to talk about, again, the different experiences of two very different people during the pandemic, not just in, you know, America, not just in Georgia, but living in this particular part of Atlanta. So it, it was a, a good thing for me to get to that point where I was ready to tell this particular story because it deals with trauma. Mm -hmm. And we know a lot about trauma from studying childhood trauma. And we know that as adults, people who experience childhood trauma are more susceptible to heart disease and diabetes and kidney disease and depression and drug addiction and alcoholism. And yeah, all these things can be traced to trauma. So it kind of asks that question of where are we going to be in 20 years, having experienced one of the most horrific uh, year plus time periods, any of us have really endured in our lifetimes.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. You do hear talk about like the, like the kids right now. I mean, adults are struggling and then you have like, how are children handling this? Are they, and what effect is that going to have sort of down the line for them? That's a good point. Yeah. Um, yeah you mentioned that you had the character of Lee first and she sort of was like, kind of like ruminating in your mind for a few years. Does that usually work for you in your books? Does the character come first and then you sort of wait for the right story to come along?
1: It depends. With my standalones, that definitely is the way it happens. But when I'm writing about Will Trent and Sarah Linton, obviously I know who those characters are. So it's more like what what shit can i throw them into next you know how can i make their lives their relationships <laughs> more difficult yeah you know i they, they usually get a fairly happy ending at the end of the book even though they've seen some really tr- mm-hmm. atrocious uh things but i i always want to think about crime through the lens of survivors whether it's the family members, the actual victim, the investigators, the medical examiners, whatever. So when I'm writing one of their stories, I'm pretty secure in who the characters are. The challenge is finding a new way to talk about them that rewards longtime readers, but also it gives enough information about the past so that people who've never read them before uh, understand where they are. Um, and, and, standalones just work differently. Cause I I have to get to know these characters because I write about really serious, horrible things. And I know we've been joking a little bit, but it's very important to me to show violence for what it is. Mm-hmm. And I want to put that in the context of this is what violence leaves behind. These are how people recover or don't recover from these horrific things and kind of asking ourselves, okay, well, this bad thing happened, how do people go on? I mean, that's a good question for right now. People are so angry. Um, And it's not just a pandemic. I mean, let's not forget we're coming out of the longest war America has ever been in. And we know just from history that at the end of wars, whether it's Vietnam or Korea or, you know, the world wars, we get these people who come home from war or who have been touched by it, who are so angry, we always see a wa- rise in white supremacist movements, populism, all the things that we're experiencing right now where people are so furious about other people just breathing, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and not as forgiving as we should be of other people when they make mistakes or when we disagree with them. Um, so that's, that's kind of encapsulated a bit in the book.
0: Um, yeah, one thing I, I do, it's going to sound very strange. One thing I do enjoy about your books is they're very visceral and they are very raw when it comes to the violence. That's a very weird thing to compliment you on, but you know, you, (laughs) I know as I'm saying it, I'm like, that doesn't sound great. Hopefully she knows what I mean. Um, yeah, you're bloodthirsty. (laughs) Go ahead. Admit it. (laughs) I mean, well, I watch, you know, true crime stuff, so maybe, but I think I, I, just like from a writer standpoint, like what is, what is that like, how do you even sort of like get into the head of the character who would do these things and then just like writing it and what is that process like?
1: Well, you know, a a lot of people who know uh, authors find them very annoying because we always look at both sides and we're like, oh, yeah, that's a horrible thing. But why did they do that? You know, what? where's the story in that? And I certainly am guilty of that um, crime, if I could call it a crime, because I do want to know why people do bad things. And generally, there's an explanation, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's mental illness. Um, and then, you, you know, you have to separate mental illness from personality because there are some people who are assholes who are mentally ill. Right. And there are some people who are very good, kind, decent people with mental illness, right? So, I mean, all those things are questions that I think about when I write bad guys. But, you know, I one of the things I purposely chose to do for my first book many years ago, Blindsided, was I, I wanted to look at violence, particularly violence against women in a realistic way. And there were several reasons for that, but two of the most important ones were one, I just, I wasn't reading that in books, right? Mm-hmm. I was usually seeing violence against women through a male lens. And the way the woman was okay was, uh, you know, she made love to the hero right, and right. he fixed everything, you know, which is a great fantasy, but it does not happen. You know, we know healing is something that comes from within. Uh, and so that was one reason, but the the primary reason is when I was growing up, We would go to my grandparents' house for Sunday dinner almost every weekend, and my grandmother would have a black eye or a cut lip or a broken bone, and my uncles would tease her about being clumsy. I mean, it was just a family joke that she was clumsy, and as I got older, I was like, wait a minute, nobody's this clumsy. My grandfather is beating the hell out of her, and no one wants to talk about it, and that silence only helped my grandfather. It did not help my grandmother in any way. It gave him permission to do it. And so when I wrote that first book and every book thereafter, I think about her life, how damaged she was, how she passed on a lot of that damage to her children, how, you know, we have generations in our family who are affected uh, negatively by this. And so I wanted to talk about that violence. I didn't want to Joke about it. I didn't want to sweep it under the rug. I didn't want to fade the black. I wanted to say, look, this is what happens and this is what it leaves behind. And to me, that is probably the singular most important thing when I look back at the books is that I've been honest about violence, violence against men, too. No one really cares when I write about men getting horrible things happening to them. They're like, "Mm, fair. Uh, But, you know, and women who are perpetrators, I write about that again. No one really pays attention to that, uh, but I, I do. I do think it's important to capture that as realistically as possible. Now, if that's not your cup of tea, please don't read my books. There's so many great books you can read, but if that's what you want to know about, then my
0: books are there. And now we're going to take a quick break for word from this week's sponsor. It's the dawn of a new era for book clubs, and we're not being dramatic. Literati has just announced their summer lineup with inspiring book clubs hosted by Malala, Stephen Curry, and Roxane Gay. Authors, leaders, and activists spark lively conversations in 12 unique book clubs, engaging a diverse community of readers from all around the world. That means you can talk about Stephen Curry's favorite books with Stephen Curry, for real. They also host exclusive interviews with the authors themselves, where you can ask your biggest questions and get the insider answers you won't find in any other book club. All book club members can shop the entire Literati library at discounts that are so steep, they look like cliffhangers, with many books over 50% off. Move freely between clubs, or use the standard membership to access everything and choose the books you want delivered. Reimagine what a book club can be. Redeem your free trial at literati.com slash book nerds it's to literaticom slash book nerds to learn more and read more with literati literati.com slash book nerds yeah no that's I think you touched on something that we couldn't quite articulate which was yes it's it's violence against women through a the lens of a woman, which you don't you don't see a lot. Um, and I think it's why I I like and appreciate your books, but I also think the first time I read it, I I don't want to say I was shocked, I was unprepared because I hadn't read books like that. And then I'm like, no, actually maybe I am bloodthirsty. Wow. Okay. I'm like, no, I want more of this. Um accept it.
1: It's who you are.
0: (laughs) Well I think that we
1: all have a natural curiosity. I mean if you look at okay, well what are the best selling books? Crime books. Mm -hmm. What are the most popular podcasts? Crime podcasts, you know, or books about crime or, you know, people are interested in this. I will will say when I first started out, I would have so many women come up to me and say, oh, you know, I'm so embarrassed, but I love this kind of book. And now I don't think you're embarrassed, right? It's just like, of course, I'm interested in this. Every woman has a moment every single day when they hear a noise or they get startled or they think well this is it i'm going to be raped right or you know th- that just flash of a sense of loss of powerlessness that most men outside of an incarceration situation never experience in their entire lives so that that's 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 what i like to write about and you know let's be honest you know this 85% of all fiction <laughs> buyers are women um, and i I'm glad that the 15% of men, those sexy, sexy men who want to read women's uh, <laughs> books by women are paying attention. But I, I think I can write about what scares women in a way that scares women.
0: Yeah. You know what? Maybe that is what it is. That Because it, it does, it feels very real and it feels very um, authentic. Yeah. And I think you're right about how probably when you first started writing, we weren't having these conversations. Like we weren't talking openly about violence against women or domestic violence or any of that. And now we are in a place where um, there are podcasts and there are the books. And so you, I think in some way have given, uh, I don't want to say permission for us to be okay with it, but it's definitely given, you sort of like liberated this idea that it's something we shouldn't talk about or we should be embarrassed to, be curious about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I absolutely agree. Cause again, the silence only protects the perpetrators.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, so false witness is a standalone. You do have your, your will Trent books, which I love as well. Um, I'm curious when you sort of, you know, there are a lot of crossover topics and themes among them, as we've discussed how, how do you decide what to write next? You know, if you, do you have, like, do you go back and forth? Is it just sort of whichever character speaks to you? Um, Is it like conversations with your editor? I'm sure play into it, but like, how does, how do you balance those series with, with the standalones?
1: You know, my editor has been with me since my second book. And so her position is you write what you want to write and we will be very happy with that, which is a gift to a writer. Yeah. Um, Because she's never saying, oh, well, you know, this would sell more if you wrote about why or, you know, she's she doesn't direct that. She just wants me to write what I want to write. And fortunately, I'm writing stuff people want to read. So (laughs) it's worked out. (laughs) Um, But we, you know, we do have general conversations when I'm ready to write a book Um, with False Witness. I came up with Lee three years ago. And I was just looking for a story to tell and it started to gel. And I I meet with her generally in non-pandemic years um, and we go over what I'm thinking. Um, And uh, normally we do do this in Miami because the HarperCollins um, International Convention for the company is in Miami most years. So, you know, it's a quick flight down there in the winter, which is the only time you'd ever want to be in Florida yeah <laughs> uh, unless you're a mosquito and so uh we were talking about this in uh I think it was uh, late January of 2020 and then when we both got home the pandemic was just like jumping off right yeah. and i said i really want to put the pandemic in the book and she was like that you know normally she's totally okay she, but she said Well, why do you want to do that? And and then I started talking to other authors, and you know, um, I know a lot of authors. I did some Facebook interviews with them, like, "What's the pandemic like?" Even like Mary Kay Andrews lives five minutes from me, but it's like, "What's it like over where you live?" (laughs) And so everyone had a different answer about whether or not they wanted to write about the pandemic, and a lot of people said, "No, it's too close, it's too anxiety making." I write stuff that's meant to take you out of your day-to-day life, escapism, mm-hmm. blah. And Mike Connolly said he was actually going to incorporate it in his, his book for 2020 that it was a Lincoln the lawyer. And he did. And I thought, well, if Mike can do it uh, and he doesn't get a lot of shit for it, which yeah. he didn't, uh, then I'll, I'll do it. And I just thought, you know, I got to go all in on this. And um, it, you know, I was very careful with it, though. Like even at the end of the book, I said, have I used masks too much, right? So I went back and did a word count, how many times mask (laughs) has appeared, that kind of thing. Because I didn't want it to intrude in the story, but it actually solved some problems as far as plotting, because I have a woman, Lee, who is not living with her teenage daughter. The daughter's living in the suburbs with Lee's husband, ex-husband, um, and I thought readers are going to hate this woman for not living with her daughter, Yeah, but the pandemic is a perfect excuse because she's in the suburbs. She's going to this pricey school, you know, it's better for her. And Lee is the one who is suffering because of this, um, detachment she feels. So that in some ways was a godsend to explain that.
0: Yeah. I think that'll be interesting to watch. Going forward, is how authors handle 2020 in their books, or even just like acknowledging it, even if a book is set like 2020. like We're still very much in this, obviously. Like, there's a, yeah, this is not going away anytime soon. So, I, I know I we're remember, talking about
1: it like it's over. I know. It's
0: not over. It's not over. Wear your masks if you know you, well, yeah. you want to get your yeah. vaccination. Um, yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. I think that'll be an interesting trend. But I, I, I wonder if it's, you know, you mentioned, you know, Michael Conley and, um The Lincoln lawyer in your books, I wonder if it's a genre thing. I wonder if certain genres um, make it a little more acceptable to discuss the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I read a lot of romance, and I know romance community is like, we're not sure about writing about the pandemic. like we're very much escapism, <laughs> right. so yeah. yeah, that'll be kind of a, a book trend, I think, to to kind of watch going forward.
1: Yeah, you know, if you think about some of the sem- seminal um, pandemic. Books, right? Like Pale Horse, Pale Rider. Yeah. I think Katherine Ann Porter uh, published that collection in 1939, right? So she went through the 1918 flu pandemic, yeah. and she writes about it. And I mean, the, the Pale Rider is death coming for her, um, and she almost died from the flu. And she talked about in the story how people had a different color to the skin and a different smell if they were infected. And she talks about the economic uncertainty. She's worried about being evicted. She can't find a space in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But it took her almost two decades before she was able to write about it. So, I mean, that just tells you um, that that some things are really hard for people to write about. I think we'll see it in memoir. I think we'll see it through the lens of loss. Because if you think about all the, the kids who've lost both parents, a parent or both parents to COVID or the number of fathers. I mean, Molly John Fast wrote a really um, beautiful essay about losing fathers to the pandemic because so many older men were lost. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it will be written about. I think as a crime writer, we're uniquely positioned to write about the pandemic because we generally write about things happening in the now, Mm -hmm. I mean, historically, crime fiction has always held up a mirror to society. So, you know, that plays into it. But also we write a book a year. So it seems more urgent to me, at least it seemed more urgent to capture how crazy our lives got. Right. And how crazy people got and things that we won't remember, like someone sneezes and you look at them like they're a, a pariah or you know, men wearing their mask below their nose because they're afraid their dicks will fall off, <laughs> or you know, people worrying about microchips, which obviously are in Viagra. You know, they're not small enough Absolutely. to be in a vaccine. Yeah. So, you know, things like that. Um, or, or one of my favorite things is all these distilleries shut down during the pandemic and started making hand sanitizer. So everywhere you go, you smell tequila and rum. Yeah, it's like a prom. Yeah. Uh, so it it was that kind of stuff is what I wanted to capture
0: funny we were yeah using hand sanitizer at one point I was just like this is this vodka this smells just like straight up vodka (laughs) like what are we using yeah no that's very true that's very true um well I have I've loved talking to you I just have one question left which is what do you hope readers take away from reading false witness or any rude books
1: Well, with any book, I want the first reaction to be, crap, I can't believe how great that story was. I'm so sad it's over. I want more. I mean, that's my job is to entertain people. I mean, I know I write about social issues and other things, but if all you take away from False Witness or any of my books is, ah, that was so worth however many hours I lost sleep to finish that, then I've done my job. If you want deeper meaning, it's there. Um, but I do think that all of my books end on hope, you know, people get up the next day, no matter what happens, and they go about their business and they, they connect with other people. And I mean, that's really the, the plight of being a human, a successful human is that we always have to rely on hope that tomorrow is going to be better.
0: Yeah, that's great. Karen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. 18 plus.